Return, O virgin daughter of Israel, to these your highways by which you went. Welcome to Reunion Roadmap, a place to discover the people and communities along the Highway of Restoration for Israel's House of Joseph. Reunion Roadmap is a B'nai Yosef, North America production. Be our guest for the next hour as we meet the people of the emerging House of Joseph here in North America. Hey, welcome to another edition of Reunion Roadmap. This is Al McCarn along with Zephania Pappas. We're so glad you have joined us for this show. We are in the middle of counting the Omer as we record. We are toward the end of that 50-day cycle looking to Shavuot, and you'll hear more about that in the second half of the program as our elders, Barry Phillips and David Jones, discuss this appointed time of the Lord. But in the meantime, we've got a new guest to introduce, and he comes all the way from the western part of the United States. Zephania, tell us about it. Yeah, Doug Hamp, I think our listeners will really appreciate what he has to say. He's the leader of the Way Congregation in Denver, Colorado, and he's got some uh, interesting experiences that he is sharing. He's going to be talking about his experience living in Israel and then starting a congregation in Denver, Colorado. With a few steps in between, of course. Uh, Doug is a pastor. You will hear him talk about dispensational theology and other theological terms. So if you're theologically minded, you will really appreciate Doug's interview, which will extend through the next three shows. But Doug is a pastor who has come to understand the importance of the Torah, keeping the Shabbat, the appointed times of the Lord. And that's why we wanted to interview him. And again, he's a pastor at The Way Congregation, and you can find them on the internet right there at thewaycongregation.com. So let's go on out to Denver and meet Doug Hamp. Hello, this is Safania Pappas for Beneos of North America, and we're going over to the fine state of Colorado and interviewing Doug Hamp with the Way Congregation. Tell us about yourself, Doug. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, guys. It's really a pleasure to be here. Yeah, the Way Congregation is in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. It's uh, something that I had long thought of starting. I used to be part of a uh, it's called a Sunday church, for lack of a better word. Uh, and I really just started to get convicted about the Sabbath. And I kept thinking, you know, if the Sabbath is so great for the Jews, why should it be good for the rest of us? And I started looking into, obviously, what God had said about it. And I began to realize that it is for everybody. And so I wanted to start a congregation with that in mind. And so I decided to make it a Messianic congregation that meets on Shabbat. And I've been having a great time doing it. We started in 2016, uh, having a lot of fun. Uh, I love living in Colorado because I get to ski. Uh, I love to ski. It's a great thing to do. In fact, I was uh, kind of a ski bum for a little while before I went to Israel back in the late 90s and um, always wanted to get back to Colorado. I was born in Battle Creek, Michigan, where they make Kellogg's cornflakes and grew up there. Uh, but then I was out in Colorado for a, a time and just loved it. Uh, but you know, I wanted to really dig in deeper to the Word of God. I, I felt that knowing the Hebrew language was very important, and I figured the only way to really do that is to go to the land, live there, and uh, study uh, in the land of Israel. And so that's what I had the privilege of doing. I learned a great deal at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. I was challenged in many ways as well, but uh, I'm so grateful because it has really helped me to understand God's Word in ways that I probably would not have uh, been able to explore if I had not gone to Israel. So 
as I understand now, you said that when your congregation, did they meet on Sundays and then you went to the Sabbath? Well, no. So I, I was working at a, uh, a church, uh, kind of okay. a regular Sunday church. Uh, we were living in California at the time. And I, well, I was wanting to start a congregation, uh, but I didn't want to necessarily do it in California because I wanted to get back to the beauty of Colorado. And so when I came out here, I really had it on my heart to start a church, but to, to do it on the Sabbath. And so that's okay. what we've been doing. Tell us a little bit about uh, you being in Israel uh, for the time that you were. And I mean, obviously, we're not talking about the West. And what are the different culture shocks, so to speak, that you experienced while you're there, which were kind of life lessons probably for you when you came back? Being in Israel was really an incredible experience. It's, boy, it sounds like a long time ago. I guess it is now. But, uh, you know, the Internet was just barely coming out at that point. And so, you know, we didn't have up-to-date information. And uh, I, I had a lot of false ideas about what it was going to be like in Israel. And when I was living in uh, the mountains of Colorado, I didn't have much access to things like libraries and whatnot. And so I didn't really have a good understanding of what Israel was like. I, I was expecting a lot of rocks, you know. And so uh, I remember going there and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just a modern city, you know, cityscape and, and everything, you know, all the same conveniences that we were enjoying in, in America were basically being enjoyed in Israel as well. So that was something that was rather shocking, uh, you know, how much it was, you know, not that dissimilar to the United States. But of course, there's always things that you don't expect, right? And the Israelis are a rather curt kind of people. They're very much, you know, let's get things done. Americans like to say, oh, hey, I was wondering if perhaps you wouldn't mind uh, thinking about stopping that, you know, where Israelis like stop, right? Uh, they're just right to the point. And they're called a sabra, right? So a sabra is a kind of a cactus plant, and it's prickly on the outside, but it's soft and juicy on the inside. And so that's how they talk about themselves. And, and there's a certain amount of, um, you know, freshness to that. Sometimes, you know, we Americans can spend so much time not getting to the point, right? We're just beating around the bush. Israelis generally do not have that problem, uh, sometimes to a fault. In fact, I remember after spending one year in Israel, I went to Europe for the summer, and I went to France. And of course, you know, Paris has this reputation of being a place where people are not so friendly. You know, they're, they're rather uh, cold. And, but, but I thought, you know, compared to Israel, the French are uh, actually quite, uh, quite civil. Uh, you know, I don't want to point Israelis in a bad light. It's just compared to my cultural norms, they're very abrasive. But there's something nice about it. You know, again, let's get to the point. Let's stop beating around the bush. I remember one time I saw what looked like a, a very near collision of two cars. And, and then I, the guys got out of the car. Uh, each of them got out of the car. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is going to come to blows. They're going to kill each other, you know, because that's what I would expect in America. If two people get out after a car accident and they start walking up toward each other rather aggressively, you expect there to be a fight. And I didn't see that in Israel. In fact, these guys, they kind of had their whatever, you know, I couldn't hear what they were saying, but they went back and forth. And then a few minutes, a few seconds later, they're kind of just hugging each other and shaking hands. And, and I'm like, wow, this is really different. You know, there's a certain amount of getting your frustrations out and then moving on very quickly. Whereas a lot of times Americans can hold on to our bad feelings and then we take them out. Uh, you know, we, we go postal or we see uh, school shootings or we see people shooting at all kinds of different places nowadays, unfortunately. And by and large, you don't see that in Israel. Uh, of course, there is terrorism, but even with the small amount of terrorism that I did you know, experience, there was 
uh, a Palestinian that blew himself up uh, in a Sabaro restaurant. And, you know, so there, there were a few things that happened. But I, I felt, uh, on the average, I felt safer living in Israel than I did, say, you know, in the Bronx or in uh, Compton, California or something like that, you know, where these, these kind of typical places, East L.A. kind of stuff, you know. I really felt quite safe in Israel. And now that you were you went through that whole aspect of Hebrew University and that, and you came back now to Colorado, what are the things that you started developing there in Colorado when you started your congregation? Well, I really began to understand that the church as a whole has been shortchanged, that we've been told this Marcionistic viewpoint that God did away with the Old Testament. Marcion was the one who coined the term Old Testament uh, versus New Testament. And he was rabidly anti-Semitic. He hated the Jews. He hated the Sabbath. Uh, He thought Paul was the only guy who got anything right. Even the the apostles who walked with Jesus did not get things right. And so his viewpoint became predominant within the church. In fact, it became so predominant, it just became part of the church. That's how scary it is. And I would suggest that the, the ghost of Marcion lives on. And it's probably being taught on many Sundays that the law was nailed to the cross and, and that kind of rhetoric. Uh, you know, but that, that took me time to really understand and to discover that little snippet that I just gave you. That took me many years to fully uncover that. But you know, now that I have, I can see it. I can see how the Sabbath was something that was given to mankind, not to the Jews, not to Israel, but to mankind. I mean, it was on day seven that God created the Sabbath for our benefit, not for uh, one particular people group. It's a gift that he's given to mankind. And I just want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy all the blessings that God has for me. And so, you know, I'm not trying to earn anything from God. I'm not trying to, you know, score brownie points with God. I just want to enjoy the things that he has given me. And if he says, look, there's a blessing in doing this, why would I not do that? If there's a blessing in eating a certain way. Why wouldn't I listen to the creator of the universe who says, look, this is food. That's not food. It's really simple. And so there's just all these kind of different things. But I think what we have to guard against, especially those of us who are in the, the messianic expression of our faith, we have to be very careful that we don't start making our faith about those things. So I hope, I hope that makes sense. Okay. So yes, I enjoy the Sabbath and, and uh, no, I no longer eat pork and shellfish and such. But those things should not define me. What should define me is my love for my Savior, that I'm going to love my fellow man, right? I'm going to do the greatest with these things, which is love, but I'm not going to forsake the smaller things of the law, which is Sabbath and eating clean foods and, and those kind of things. Those are important, but they're not more important than loving my neighbor. And I think that's where we can get into big danger, where we start saying, well, I keep the Sabbath, you know, and I, I eat clean foods, and, and I keep the feast. And we start making that our calling card. We start boasting about these things, and then we start looking down on our Christian brothers who don't have that same understanding that we do. And they start to say, you know, or you know, we can start to say, well, these people are, you know, real pagans because they're doing this, that, and the other. And yet, so often, those Christian brothers are very loving. They're very kind. They're very generous. And, you know, I feel like we really have to keep both of these together. So, you know, a, a strong, huge emphasis on love, on grace, but also a love and appreciation for God's instructions for mankind that we would understand that these are not something we're doing to score points with God 
but that he has lovingly and graciously given us his instructions that if we will do them, we will live by them. It seems as if there's actually a, maybe a paradigm that's shifting there where people are beginning to see this mutual respect that needs to take place between one another. And we see kind of a shift happening where at one time we, we used to hear about all these different horror stories, if you will, about how a person treated somebody else. And, and now we're, we're starting to hear a different narrative that's beginning to t- take place. Are you noticing that as well? I think so. You know, I think I think it takes time. It takes a concerted effort. I mean, I still bump into enough people on Facebook that are the epitome of the terror terrorist. You know, that they are the ones who who will call out any Christian who uh, has a different expression of their faith. You know, and say that these are absolute pagans, and I can't believe you're talking to these people. And and uh, so I still know a lot of those kind of people, but. You know, what we're trying to do with the Wake Congregation is to build a bridge, to build a bridge between the house of Judah and the house of Israel or the house of Ephraim, depending on what term you want to use there. And we don't want to forget about loving our neighbor. We don't want to minimize the cross. We want to keep that central. We want to remember and remind one another that Jesus is the way, that he is the one who lived Torah out perfectly. And so when we're looking for a model, an example of what it looks like, to keep Torah, then we should look to Jesus himself as the perfect model of doing that. You know, I think when we begin to understand that I'm going to keep the Sabbath because it's a blessing to me, and I'm not going to keep it so that I can beat you up with it, but that I can be blessed by it. And, And once I finally got that through my head that I'm not doing these things for God, I'm doing them for me, right? And, you know, that takes us time to, to understand that concept. And I, I think of it like uh, eating our vegetables, right? When we were two, we ate our vegetables because mommy said so. But at uh, 22 or 32 or 42 and on, uh, hopefully we're not eating those vegetables with that motivation any longer. Now, you know, our parents are still pleased when we continue to abide by the rules that they taught us when we were two years old. But the motivation for doing those things should be very different. The motivation should not be, well, I'm doing this just to please daddy. But the motivation should be, I'm doing this because daddy told me and I believe him and I understand his reasoning now. I understand why he said to do this. And it's not so much for his benefit as it is for my benefit. He becomes the secondary beneficiary of my obedience. And I sometimes tell my kids, I'm like, you know, make sure to look both ways when you cross the road, uh, you know, and they're old enough now that, that they can they can do that by themselves, uh, and they're responsible. And I tell them, you know, just try to remind them occasionally, look, if you forget and you get hit by a car, I'll be really sad, you know, but you'll be dead. So make sure to cross to, to look when you cross the road. And it's not that I'm going to be angry at them if they forget, you know, but I'll be terribly saddened. And I think that's the same thing with, with our father is that he, yes, he is saddened when we don't keep his commandments and then those affect us negatively. He can then, of course, become righteously angry when we don't keep his commandments and then I'm hurting somebody else, right? Because then he needs to adjudicate between his children. Okay, you know, when your kids are, are messing up and they're beating each other up, you're not happy about the situation. You're sad for the one who's getting beat up, who's the victim, and you're angry at the one who's the perpetrator, but you're sad about the whole situation that, that your kids would do this in the first place. And, and that's where I think the Lord's like, look, can you guys just get along, you know, keep my commandments and start playing nicely with one another, and that will make the father happy. And ultimately, that's 
the best for us as well. Now, you mentioned about being like a bridge to the Christian church. Are there certain things that you're doing within your community in that regard? Well, we're, we're actually having a conference this summer. So it's called the One in Messiah Convocation. It's going to be July 18th, 19th, and 20th. Uh, here in Denver. So if people want to uh, come to that, you can go to our website, oneinmessiahconvocation.com, and we have uh, the tickets there. And so we're inviting a few people who are uh, are just Jewish. They're not believers in Jesus to any extent. Uh, but of course, we have a lot of speakers who, who are on the other side of that fence. And we want to talk to one another. We don't have to agree on everything, but we want to talk. We want to, yes. we, we believe that God is doing a work in our days uh, it's a prophetic fulfillment that he is bringing together these two houses. We see this spoken of so often in the scriptures. In Ezekiel chapter 37, we have the picture of the two sticks that are now coming together. And I remember when I used to be a dispensationalist, I would read that and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. You know, that's for the Jews. You know, now I read it. I'm like, oh, no, that's for me. Right. Because now I see myself as part of the commonwealth of Israel. And I, I find it so liberating. And I, I hope that many in the house of Judah, the Jews, will understand that as well. That it's not that God has this people over here, the Jews, and he's got this thing over here called the church. And he's got two different plans and two different destinies and two different locations that they're going to end up in. Uh, even two different compartments of heaven, as some people have put it. Uh, two different resurrections, right? That's that's what I was, was raised in, is this idea of dispensationalism. But now with the understanding of commonwealth theology, I understand that the two houses split under the breach of Jeroboam. And then in 722, God said to the northern kingdom, to the house of Israel, I'm divorcing you. It's over because you continue to commit adultery against me. You can go after these false gods and you do so many things that I keep telling you to stop. And God's like, it's over. And so that northern kingdom, those 10 tribes were sent out, scattered swallowed up into the nations, into the Gentiles, and they became part of the Gentiles. And so their restoration, their coming back, the so-called Gentile believers, is the fulfillment of the return of the house of Israel. And so now what we can see is that the house of Israel is comprised of these Gentile Christians, and the house of Judah are the Jews. All right, And God is bringing us back together in ways that I'm sure still surpass our understanding, uh, but what we can discover from Scripture uh, is still very exciting that he's doing this work. He's going to bring these two nations, these two people groups together in a way that was made possible by the cross. And I think people are beginning to see this. I think, you know, from the conversations I'm having, the things that I'm reading, the people I'm bumping into, there is an awakening and it's very exciting. And again, I, I, I said that it's a, fulfillment of prophecy, which is really cool because a lot of times end times prophecy focuses on all the negative stuff. And there is some scary stuff that is predicted to come. But this is, you know, I think the, the, the bright light that's shining in the darkness, you know, so as we see the world getting darker and as we see prophetic events encroaching upon us and all kinds of weird stuff, there's this bright light that God is shining saying, look, I am doing this thing and the restoration, the complete restoration of the two sticks, of these two houses, is close. It was all made possible by the cross.
Here is Be My Shalom by Melody Joy from her album, The Beginning. Free. 
Shalom and welcome to the Midrash portion of Reunion Roadmap. This is David Jones coming to you from Florida and with me today is Barry Phillips from Virginia. Shalom, brother. Shalom, right back at you, bro. Hey, you know, we're in a, an exciting time right now and uh, not just uh, the state of just everything that's going on, I mean, just the seasons that we're in. Um, you know, the Father puts us through cycles and seasons for us to learn things because we forget things from time to time. I don't know about you, Barry, but I, 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 I tend to forget a few things and need reminded of some things occasionally. That's why we are married to a wife. You got that right, brother. She's <laughs> <laughs> really good at help, helping me because I, I need it. And um, but you know, there's so many things in in Yah's word that uh, is it's like okay, is he just repeating himself? Or in well, yeah, but he's expounding on what he wants us to do. We need to be reminded of some things sometimes, and so we're in a season right now that uh, normally counting the Omer is is what we're talking about. And there's some interesting parallels and cycles when we combine it with the rest of Scripture. I mean, cycles of sevens. You could talk about sevens all day long uh, as, as you're going through the Scripture. Right. But, uh, but count seven weeks past the, past the seven weeks. That's 49 days. And then the next day is Shavuot. Sure. And that's the 50th day. So in this process, wh- where does that leave us? What are we looking for? What are we counting up to? What are we? Is it just uh, uh, just a physical day on a calendar that we just start to memorialize and just make a make a memory of, or is it something that you feel the Father was wanting to do in our lives currently and actively and every year He's expounding? That's kind of where I'm leaning. It's not just a day that you pick on a calendar that you acknowledge something, which we do that. But I do believe that it is a day that the Father has set aside to reveal his heart to his people. Okay. And so as we're looking forward to that, I think this is a time of preparation. That are we preparing in this time, in this season, to let our hearts be ready to receive what he wants to give us? Because when he was, you know, at Sinai... And and they're preparing, and Yahweh says, prepare yourself in three days. I'm going to come down there. I'm going to meet with you. This was the culmination of this, uh, this 50 days. And so here we have the people, when Yah shows up, they freak out. We cannot stand to bear to hear the voice of God. Moses, you go find out. My concern is that we put ourselves in that same situation. Are we going to prepare ourselves in these days leading up to this time to really hear what the Father is saying and what's on His heart? Or in this time, are we going to try to make a golden calf, make an idol, and then when when Yaz tries to show us something, oh, that's not what I have seen. You know, we have a lot of parallels. We have a lot of choices. We do, you know. Yah, Yah always has something up his sleeve. He's always trying to reveal, teach, admonish, instruct, um, uh, give us a, a, an insight into his realm. Ever since the first day of creation, where the heavenly was created first, and then the earthly physical realm was created second. 
uh, with a purpose of catching the revelation of the heavenly realm and making it a physical realm reality by in a physical realm sense. That was the original design. Yah established the spiritual realm and all of its spiritual realm realities, you know, and, and that's that's a concept that you and I, as, as Earth people, struggle to to comprehend. But he gave within the creation of the physical realm the capacity, the the discerning ability for that which is earthly to look at the heavenly and try to mirror it, catch its right reflection. Yeshua came as the spiritual realm's ultimate revelation to us and now having a covenant relationship with him, we as physical realm beings are trying to um, mirror him to the best of our ability to reflect him. It's interesting, David, you and I, uh, mankind in general, we are created of physical realm mud. Uh, I was teaching in Texas, and I started calling us mud people. I think it was Texas. Anyway, you know, we're 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 mud people. That's that's our essence. But within this mud hut that we are, the Father's breath has been placed in us. So while we are physical, we are also capable of being spiritually animated. Now, we can live simply by fleshly inclinations and desires, or we can yield to the spirit that is in us and really begin to mirror the heavenly spiritual realm in a powerful way. Most of us don't do that very well. Hmm. Hence, we have this season of preparation. Now, this this I've always wanted a band that I could call this. You know, one of those weird names that people struggle to figure out why is the band called that? Eight equals fifty. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay, I think I know where you're going with this, but yeah, yeah, tell us what that is. All right, and and uh, even uh, modern math teachings, which are horrible, uh, eight does not equal fifty. Unless they just don't want to hurt, hurt the child's feelings and say, well, yes, darling, for you it does. Oh, no. no. Uh, we, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, seven is the the earth realm cycle. Six days you work, a seventh day of rest. That is a physical realm cycle. A male Hebrew child is circumcised not on the seventh day, but the eighth day. Well, there's only seven days on earth, so where do we get an eighth day? It's not just the eighth day of their life, but it's the eighth day in that it is a one day beyond the physical realm. It is a spiritual day, a day that originates in the spiritual realm, not the physical realm. Because the covenant that a child is circumcised to, to be a claimant toward is not earthly, it originates in the spirit realm, and it is given to us in the physical. So we see a Hebrew male child marked in his physical body to indicate that he is also a spiritual being who lives by a spiritually originated covenant. The same thing goes for Shavuot as well as the Yovel, the Jubilee. You count seven 
cycles of seven, whether for the Shavuot it's days or for the Jubilee or Yovel it's years. Uh, you're, you're, you're operating in a multiple uh, set of physical realm realities before you come to the 50th day. Seven times seven is 49. The day beyond the seventh day or seven day uh, cycle is 50. So in that regard, 50 being one day beyond and eight being one day beyond, eight equals 50. They're the same day. So at Shavuot, we have a spiritual realm reality uh, of the Torah and the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh that is given to us to mark us as spiritual realm beings living in a physical realm reality. That same reality of the spirit realm powerfully is displayed at the Yovel where there is the restoration of all things. Things are totally reset and we go back to the way it's supposed to be. So you know, I believe that somehow that the return of Messiah is going to uh, be coordinated with the Yovel, and we're going to see Yeshua come at the restoration of all things and reset us and bring the kingdom to bring it back to the earth the way it's supposed to be. Well, that's that's that's, that's a great, great, uh, a great way to put everything. Very honestly, it's it's just uh, I, I, I can like really envision that. Well, I think that's that's the purpose of his returning. But here's the here's the hard part, David. In these seven day or seven year cycles, they're intensified. It's not just one cycle, but it's seven cycles of seven. So we are experiencing the intensity or the intensified reality of the physical realm. Uh, I don't know about anyone else, but for me, in the counting of the Omer, normally all of my physical realm reality comes to the surface. Yeah, it does. And I, I start seeing, ow, man. I just, uh, and, and when it's revealed, the ugly comes to the surface. It's not a pleasant thing. And, and instead of being broken and humbled by it and saying, oh, Father, help me get this off of me. We end up developing this attitude of angst or anger, <laughs> uh, being ill at ease, or we saturate ourselves with physical realm distractions so that we don't have to focus on it. None of which is productive, but the Father's trying to help us to see our junk, to get it out of the way so that we can receive a greater portion of that which is promised on the 50th day. So we're we we go through. It's not just count fifty days. It's count seven cycles of sevens. Then the fiftieth day. So we have a progression. Is is kind of what the picture is, as it's kind of coming together. And it's that we have six days. We do the work. We got the stuff and the life and the stress and the everything. And then the seventh day, we don't necessarily look back on the seventh day on the six days that we've had, but yet we look forward on the seventh day to that eighth day that we spend with him. Uh, forever, the, the new reset, the new beginning, the new times, the new season, and that's the refreshing before we go back through that cycle of six again, and then the, then the seven, then the six, then the seven, and we're going through each, it's, it's each week as its own cycle as we're leading up to that 50th day. It is, 
what you say there sparks something else that comes to mind, David, and that is that in, in our land of exile here, we are taught to think on a linear time scale. You know, you can never go back to yesterday and relive a moment in time that's already passed because in, in Roman Greco uh, understanding, everything's on a long straight line. Whereas scripturally, we move in cycles. So while I may not be able to go back to yesterday and relive that moment, in the cycles of time, a moment very similar to will come around and I will be given a chance to make a different uh, decision uh, or to repeat a right one, being being consistent. It's not reincarnation. It's, it's a reliving of similar life experiences. So one generation is coiled over top of the other, over the other, over the other, and we move upward, if you will, like the coils of a spring. So we are moving in cycles of seven to come to a crowning moment that is laid on top of that of that coiled spring of time, if you will. Um, it's not linear, it's cyclical. And we need to learn to start thinking in that direction. Hard to do with with our society but um, cycles as a father have us you know we we see cycles all around us we just don't think of them that way i mean even the seasons even the days uh yeah you know yah willing you know the sun came up this morning yah willing it goes down it comes up tomorrow i mean we we live in cycles and so if we learn that each new cycle the father brings us to is for life and for blessing and for something to honor him and to, and uh, to to bless him and his people and to draw us to him because wasn't that the point of of all this time to hear his voice and to bring us to the mountain to receive what we need to live according to his heart his desires and um I think from this, as we go to this point forward, if we keep our, our hearts set on his heart, then it's going to make life a little easier in the long run. What do you think? Uh, I think so. Uh, you know, it's just a little reprogramming of our mind, our spirit, our brain, our being. Easy stuff. Uh, you know, we, we can do it today. And uh, then we sit back and relax and watch what happens, right? I mean, it's all... Snap your fingers, it's done. (laughs) (laughs) I wish it was that easy. (laughs) Well, that kind of takes us to the end of our time today, Barry. Um, So, guys, if you have comments, questions, or uh, just things with the Midrash in general, we love hearing from you. You can contact us at reunionroadmap at com. Till next time, shalom, guys. Shalom, bros. Now the music of Will Spires from his album The Return. This is Who Are These? Available at keyofdavidpublishing.com. Who are these that come flying like a cloud of dust? Who are these watchmen on your golden walls? These are the ones for whom Rachel still quietly weeps. They're the sons Yahweh's promised to keep. Our first love, our husband and our father. 
imparting knowledge so we understand to walk in truth separates light from darkness move across our dark waters again oh and we know you're the Perfected in us as we lay down our lives for your bride. See the clouds on the breath of the evening. Round Zion's mountain, where heaven will touch down. The stars as a witness move in his orbit. He's created and calls them to shine. Oh, and we know you're the way, each and every day, as we tend to this lamp deep inside. Perfected in us as we lay down our lives for your bride. Let us guard Jerusalem by night and labor by day. When the trumpet sounds, we'll rally there. Let us build and defend her and obedience, and he will regather us there. See the clouds on the breath of the evening, round Zion's mountain where heaven will touch down. The stars as a witness move in his orbit. He's created and calls them to shine. Oh, and we know you're the way each and every day as we tend to this lamp deep inside. Perfected in us as we lay down our lives for your bride. Oh, and we know you're the way each and every day as we tend to this lamp deep inside. I don't know. Perfected in us
as we lay down our lives for your bride. As we lay down our lives for your bride. As we lay down our lives for your bride. Hello, this is Safania Pappas, and with me is Al McCarner, Executive Director for Pineos of North America. And you just got done listening to the song, Who Are These? by Will Spires, and also the Midrash by our elders, which was called 8 equals 50. A very interesting concept that Barry brought up there when they're talking about Shavuot. It's true, and uh, it doesn't quite make sense when you hear it. 8 equals 50. How can that be? But when you look at it, as Barry and David did, in the sense of the cycles of our Creator, you know, a, a male circumcised on the eighth day of life, the eighth day beginning a new week, seven cycles of seven for Shavuot, counting seven weeks. And then on the beginning of the eighth, we have the new era. And the eighth day at Sukkot, they didn't discuss that, but that's another thing. It's these cycles of leading up to the new, the spiritual time, the threshold into, I think it might equate to what I learned about in the church, the kairos time, the kairos moment of God, which would be a Greek expression, not quite the same as the Hebrew concept. But this brings up something interesting, Zephania, and perhaps we can tie this into what we heard from Doug Hamp in this first part of our visit yeah. with him. So if 8 equals 50, if we are going through this physical existence looking toward a spiritual completion, perfection, and reality, how does that connect to the Torah awakening, which Doug Hamp's story is just one example of what we're seeing around the world today? If you look at Scripture, where it talks about that folks viewed the Torah as a strange thing. So when I hear like 8 equals 50, that sounds very strange. And so when we get this Torah awakening, we're actually being thrust into these strange things that we haven't experienced before because we so divorced ourselves from the feast days. Hmm. These feast days, the keeping of Shabbat, are they, are they essential for salvation? Not at all, it, it, but it, they certainly enhance your walk with Him. And really, you, you'll find just there's, there's just such a joyful place and time and all that. You have uh, Sukkot, which is a tabernacles, which was just known as the season of joy. And you'll find that out, that out. Shavuot coming up right now that we're embracing. That's the, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Originally, the giving of the Torah, but now the Holy Spirit. And it's like there's this energy that is created from these feasts that energizes us as believers. And we're finding that's happening. And there is an awakening happening within folks in the church because they're starting to realize, wow, this is something that I think I need to look into and embrace. So it began as it always has been with circumcising the heart. Yes. Mm. This is how I think of it, Sophania, is for the last several thousand years, what our Lord has been doing, particularly since 
Messiah Yeshua came and completed his work and opened the way for all of us to come into relationship with the Creator and, of course, for Ephraim to return and complete the nation of Israel. For all these thousands of years, he's been looking for the lost sheep and bringing them in. And the only requirement is answer the call, follow the shepherd. But the sheep, when they come in, they're dirty, they're diseased, they're broken, they haven't been shorn, so they're all matted with their wool, etc. Now it's time to clean them up and make them presentable so they can enter the sheepfold. I think that's what we're seeing happen with the Torah Awakening. Yes, I would agree. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Reunion Roadmap. Thank you very much for listening. On behalf of Stefania Pappas and Barry Phillips and David Jones, this is Al McCarn saying Shavua Tov. Thank you for joining us on the Reunion Roadmap, a production of B'nai Yosef, North America. Please come back next week for another visit with the people of the Emerging House of Joseph here in North America.